Content warning for mentions of homophobia, transphobia, violence, and profanity. Terry is a queer trans Singaporean boy. At the time of this interview, he is working in crypto. In this interview, he discusses coming out to a queer school counselor, inter-school soccer team crushes, how his fashion sense changed alongside his gender expression, walking for New York Fashion Week, and thoughts on actively participating in capitalism. Okay, so this is the oral history interview of Terry Tan about his experience as a queer Singaporean. It is 8th June 2021. Um, it's being held over Zoom and we are both in Singapore. So first, do I have your consent for this interview? Yes. Okay, cool. So the first question, I guess, would be, um, how did you realize that you were queer? Um, it's actually a very long-winded <laughs> process for me. Um, it's funny because I actually had dated somebody in secondary school uh, and we were dating for a year, but it didn't even occur to me that I was queer. Um, I think it was somewhere it, during JC where I had a really good friend who's also queer. I didn't know that even though like they're so, so queer. Um, who was like, hey, you know, you watch this show, it's called The L Word. Um, and then I was like, I don't know what that is. So I went to Google it, torrent it, whatever, stream it, do whatever you have to to watch. Um, and, you know, I was watching a lot of like queer content online. And I don't know why I was doing that. Um, but I guess after watching enough <laughs> of that content, I thought, actually, maybe I might be queer. Um, and I think that there was a moment, I think, somewhere in JC, J2, where I thought, oh, no, I think I might be queer. And that was right before A-levels. Around that time was also the time where, uh, you know, everybody was, like, thinking about which uni to go to. Um, and, you know, I was doing the same thing. So I was like, I was thinking, look, I have to go to like a US or UK or Australia or any university that's not in Singapore. I need to like get out there. Um, and it was there that I met someone um, who was the college admissions uh, counselor um, at the time. Um, and, you know, I had, a, I formed like a very nice friendship with her. Um, and she was the first person I sort of told. I basically told her, I was like, uh, hey, is there something that, you know, you want to tell people, but you can't, and like, it's just, it's just getting at you. Um, and it's so funny because when I asked her afterwards, she was like, oh, I knew you were going to come out to me. It was so obvious because apparently when I wrote my, you know, personal essay, the first sentence I wrote was like, you know, I'm not a regular girl. <laughs> so there's nothing that's more queer than that. Um, and so, you know, she was like, hey, I don't, I don't know what you want to tell people, but you can't. Like, I'm a very open person, you know, like I'll tell anybody everything. And I was like, okay, let's give an example. For example, you need to like, you want to tell somebody something. What would you say? She's like, look, at your age, there are only three things. Number one, you like killed your best friend or something like that, ridiculous. Uh, you're gay. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, and the last one is you have three boobs. And I'm like, what? Okay, 
So let's take the last one as an example. It's like, all right. So for example, if you had three boobs, how would you tell uh, tell everybody? And she was like, hi, my name is X and I have three boobs. What about you? And I was like, who, what? Nobody's, what? Is that a thing? And she was like, all right, I got to go home now. Goodbye. And then she just like hopped into her car and left. And then the next morning, uh, I went into her office and, you know, hung out with her again. And she was like, all right, so you wanted to tell me something, but you didn't tell me yesterday. So what is it? And I was like very nervous, like fidgeting around. And I said, okay, you know, uh, um, I don't, uh, it took me like five minutes to say the words. I think I might be gay. And her response was like, okay, cool. And I was like, what? what kind of response is that? And she was like, what kind of response do you want? And I was like, okay, fair. But I had this like entire like conflict in my head going on and I didn't really like accept it for a really long time and I needed somebody to be like that's okay for me to be like oh, okay that's interesting and even then I think I didn't like know I was queer I was like I think I might be queer I don't know and then you know I just like spent a lot of time on tumblr as, as one would <laughs> on tumblr and then um, you know, watching any other like movies and TV shows, stuff like I watched everything that was available at the time. Um, and so I think it was a process. It wasn't like one moment where I was like, okay, I know I'm queer. And it was a process of like getting used to, to the idea that I might be queer. And then I was like, actually, I am queer. And then there's all these, there are all these different labels as well, right? Uh, different types of queer. Uh, identities and stuff like that and so that was when I was like starting to explore what it means to be like you know maybe like non-binary or stuff like that it was, it was it's a very long journey so there wasn't really a point I would say where I like knew I was queer okay so something that you said kind of stuck out to me that when you were 18 and you decided that you really, really needed to leave Singapore to go overseas. Could you explain, like, why did you feel like that? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I went to, you know, RGS and RJ. Um, I had grown up in the same church for about 15 years of my life before that, or a bit less. Um, I was in the same social circles, and, like, everybody knew me. I felt like, you know, if I would have stayed in Singapore, I don't know, I either be like a doctor, lawyer, or a banker. Uh, I am a banker now. But, you know, I'd still be stuck in the same circles, right? Like NUS, NTU, or one of the above. Like, I, I felt like I needed to go somewhere entirely different where I wouldn't bump into like a secondary school or a JC friend or a church friend or even a family member, right? I didn't want it to be the case where I would try to do something queer or whatever. And then somebody would spot me and be like, and tell my parents or something like that. I wanted to have the full autonomy to do whatever I want. And that might include partying. It, it, when I went to NYU, I did a lot of partying. But, you know, I want to have the freedom and not have like, my mom text me at 10 p.m. and be like, where are you? Why are you not home yet? You know, stuff like that. Um, and I felt that going overseas would create that physical barrier between me and like, any tie I had to like my family or my old friends, um, that would give me a su sufficient space to go explore my identity. Okay, so um, 
How, what kind of space then did you find overseas for, for you to explore your identity? Oh, I was so desperate when I went. I, I found every possible space. Um, it's actually funny because before I went to uh, New York, I actually explored some spaces in Singapore. Like after after A levels, before you we went to uh, before I went to uni, there was like you know the six, the six to eight months that you have, right? So I actually participated in like the queer book and movie club, and like it used to be the queer book club, and I don't even read books, so you can tell you can tell how desperate I am. Um, and then I think I joined like a bunch of like cell groups here and there talking about like queerness and faith in Singapore, like uh, I think organized by FCC. Um, and then I tried to meet like any queer person like ever. Um, so, you know, with that sort of mentality, I, I flew to the US and, you know, I went to every single queer event that was, that was organized by the school. So there is this um, office called the Office of like LGBTQ Student Life and they would organize events, they would host like, um, like official events and they have like smaller groups so like, you know, for example, like race-based or like other sub-identities. Um, yeah, and like, I would turn up to like most of those meetings. And then I hang out with all of those friends that I met from there. Um, I did like New York City-wide um, meetings as well. So I did one where it was like an Asian-based queer, sorry, it was an Asian, it was a queer Asian group. And they had like a mentor, group or something like that and so I participated in that as well and then there were a lot of like events I mean the bars and the clubs are out there as well so you just like go right and then you have like older people um that you could sort of like meet um that was what I did my first year and then my second year onwards I was like super involved um in this other organization that I've been involved with like I'm still involved with till today it's called Out for Undergrad it's basically like um a nonprofit organization that helps LGBTQ undergrads, um, you know, technically the mission is to like live up to their full potential. Um, but what it actually is, is um, we organize like conferences and, you know, we bring LGBTQ undergrads from across the country, sometimes even around the world uh, to, um, you know, our conference venue. And then it's like a weekend of like networking, like, you know, career building, some personal development as well, like hearing keynote speeches, stuff like that. And so, you know, that was something that I did in my second year. And that has changed my life because for the first, for the first year, I spent a lot of time with people who were like very anti-capitalist. And like, you know, I went to business school. Um, I like ended up working in investment banking. Uh, you know, I'm from Singapore and have the money to like go to the US, like, you know, um, there's, you know, not very many of people who are like me in like those queer spaces. And then in the business school, there are not very many queer people either in business school. So in this particular organization of our undergrad, you know, it started out with just a business conference. Um, and now we have other conferences, but there it was when I found like, a lot of queer business people. Like there were like 200 queer business people who attended the conference like every year at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these queer business people. And then that's not, that's like just the students, but then there's also like the, the, like the adults <laughs> as I call them, right? People who are like much older than me and they are currently working in business as like queer professionals. And so I found like a big community there. 
Um, and obviously, like, you know, I've been involved ever since, but, um, you know, my role, I'm happy to talk a bit more about that later. Um, but, you know, in addition to like general, like getting involved in like clubs and organizations and stuff like that, there's also, like I mentioned before, like the partying. <laughs> you make a lot, a lot of friends just going out. It's actually very easy to make friends when you go out and then you just hang out with new people and just say hi to random people. And everybody's pretty friendly over there, so. Okay, so I guess um, we can circle back to talking about the community of queer business people that you were part of. Um, I'm quite curious because, um, you know, you, you have done queer modeling. I'm quite curious, like, could you tell me a bit more about your personal journey as a queer model? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I, don't, I don't often say I'm a queer model because it's a bit embarrassing. Uh, but it's, it's more like a personal project for me, to be honest. I, I think it started when I was looking at Tumblr and I was like, all of these people that are being reposted, they're all like white people. Um, and like, I, you know, you, I actually had a little bit of fun with my friend and we both went on a photo shoot and we were taking photos and she posted her photo and I posted mine, but hers got more like reblogs, posts, likes, whatever than, 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 than mine. And I was like, hey, wait, like it's probably because she's white. But also to be fair, to be fair, like I hadn't really found my style at the time. So it was kind of awkward, so I get it. Um, but anyway, um, I thought that there was very little like representation of people, um, especially Asian people. Um, and so I figured, maybe I'll go check out a couple of like things here and there and like see see what's out there. Um, not necessarily like I wanna be in it or just, I just wanted to like survey the land in, in a, a little bit. And so I actually found this thing, this organization is called Brooklyn Boyhood. Um, they're just a bunch of uh, queers. I think they were based in Brooklyn at the time. I don't know, they like host parties and stuff like that. Um, the organization organizations mainly um, black and brown people, um, but they're you know broadly like a people of color sort of organization, um, and they have a yearly calendar. And so when uh, they were calling for submissions, I decided to submit, and it was like, hey, like do you you want to take me? And like they wanted they 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 accepted me right. So they I went I went on the photo shoot with them, and it was very fun. And I ended, I was like one of the, I don't even remember what month I was, but I was on, on, I was one of the months on the calendar and it was super cool. Um, and I didn't realize how affirming that was. Being like, shit, I'm a model. Like people actually think I look good. Like this photo makes me look good. And like my hair looks good. The shirt that I'm wearing looks good. Like, like I look good. Because for a long time, like when I was a kid, I look at myself and be like, why does my face look so funny? Like that person's face looks really nice. But then I look at mine and I'm like, why is mine so weird? You know? And like, I don't know, maybe people just, maybe everybody does that. I don't know, but I did that. Um, and um, doing modeling made me feel 
proud of like how I look. And so I would find opportunities to, whether it's like a casual thing with a friend or like trying to get brands to like sponsor me and stuff like that, like I would go do it. Um, it was obviously hard because I was like studying, trying to like come out, trying to like get into business, like queer business circles, all that type of stuff, right? Um, but I think the, it really, I guess, took off after my internship at Barclays because that was when I like secured a full-time job and I was in my last year of school and I basically didn't need to like study really, right? <laughs> so then I did a whole bunch of like um, modeling stuff here and there. And one of the things that I did was um, I was on Dapper Q's New York Fashion Week show. So I just like went for a random audition and then they picked me. Um, and that was so scary because I never walked on a runway before. I had never, um, well, like done any like live shows. Um, and and this is like in front of like the whole queer community basically. And there were so many people over there. I think like, you know, 500 to a thousand if I'm not wrong. Uh, and it was just so scary. <laughs> I like stage fright. Um, and so that was such an interesting experience because I saw a lot of queer models, like the famous ones that, you know, people might've heard of like Elliot Sailors, like Rain Dove. Um, and I mean, there, there are a bunch of others who weren't necessarily walking, but they're still, they were like present as well. And like, it's so cool. I got to like be friends with them, got to meet them. Um, it was actually through this like queer modeling community that I also met like the first trans guy to appear on like men's health. Um, and like, he's, he's a bud, he's like from Germany. His name is Benjamin Melzer, I believe. Um, and like, that's so cool, right? Like, oh my God, like the queer community is connected. Um, and then another thing that I did was really, really cool. Um, it was also somewhat through this like community that I've made um, was I um, was in a commercial featuring um, Bayern Munich soccer players um, and the commercial was for Audi, the car. And so I like, it's it's so cool because I got to meet like you know if anybody knows me they know that I like soccer a lot and like it was my life from uh when how should I say it was my life from like 11 years old until like 17 18 years old right like I was an under 16 national team I played for RJ um and you know I played for a, for a club outside as well so I was like my soccer is my life um and so watching these like soccer superstars play like on tv and now i get to play with them and like one of them olayed me and it was like very embarrassing but it was so fun because i'm like holy shit like who can say that this like world cup guy has like olayed them right so yeah it was it was such an experience um and then obviously you know there are a couple of brands here and there that i, I like you know one of them is tomboy toes they make you know smaller masculine shoes um and it fits my style because i like to be like a bit more dapper um so like you know stylish suits and like shoes and ties like lapel pins it's very like old school classic look uh not very hipster and in nowadays but like um you know i still <laughs> like to rock that um so you know i'll do whatever i use oh i do i also did like underwear stuff too for tomboy x um and so like i'll be a model for like any core company i'd, I'd love to do that
cool. Okay. Um, yeah, could you describe a bit more about how your fashion has sort of evolved maybe together with your identity or maybe not? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think when I started out, when I was a kid, like when I was just coming out, not sure, like I would just wear a t-shirt and jeans because that's the most gender neutral thing that you could do, right? It doesn't tell anybody that you're like tomboyish, like tr trying to be a boy, or it doesn't say you're super feminine either. So I just wore the most neutral thing and it was so plain. And in my opinion, I think it's like not really style because it was like basic t-shirts and like jeans that don't fit. Um, and then when I went to the US, um, you know, the first thing I did was to cut my hair. So I had like the mushroom hair that like you can imagine all these like primary school kids had. Um, I kept it until JC. And then um, because keeping it long would be feminine and then cutting it shorter would be like too masculine. So that was like, you know, the neutral ground. And so when I cut my hair the first time I went to the US, I was like, holy shit, this is so liberating. And then I bought a lot of different types of clothes. I bought jackets, I bought like plaid shirts, um, you know, flannel, like I, I bought like shorts, long pants, all different types of shoes, like boat shoes, um, like the more formal types. Uh, what other shoes did I get? I mean, I just, I just play with a variety of like designs. And I didn't know what fit me because, you know, there are all the different types of like looks, right? Um, yeah, I did like denim. I did all these other things as well. Um, but I couldn't figure out what I wanted. Um, and I think as a function of like my business background, I was like, okay, you know, if I need to show up to an interview, like I need to figure out what to wear. And so that's how it kind of started. Um, you know, I put on like some basic like G2000 shirt that's like obviously meant for women because of the cut, right? And then the jacket's also like meant for women because of the cut. But then once I put on a tie, it actually looked kind of nice. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, I ended up doing like a style photo shoot for that as well, actually. Um, and that's when I realized it's kind of fun. I want to play with this. But the one thing that I didn't want to do was to be rigid and be like, oh, now I'm going to dress like a man. Like, absolutely not, right? part of my style and my personality has a bit of playfulness to it and so whenever I dress myself I like to add a tinge of like playfulness so whether that's like a bow tie that's made out of wood um or like a lapel pin that's like super colorful or like my tie is like flowery or something that's not like you know basic man you see at like Tanjung Baga um that's my that's, that's the vibe I'm going for, right? Like I want somebody to look at me and be like, ooh, stylish, like intentional, right? And so like, um, you know, one of the easiest ways that I did that was actually to wear colorful socks. And it's so funny because having colorful socks was one of the, one of the uh, things that actually helped me get a job because it started a conversation really easily and then I could like gel with the interviewer and stuff like that. But you know, it's all just part of my personality. Right. Um, and that was, I would say, like during college. And then nowadays, my fashion's a little bit um, more different, I guess. I, like, I love playing with like colors and patterns. So, you know, in the past, I would have like solid white and solid um, 
gray jacket and then maybe the socks are colorful now like my shirt's also like my shirt is like is, is like a is like flowery patterns i wear like a pink suit to i wore a pink suit to the business the over you business conference like two years ago um you know like i would totally buy like a yellow suit but they didn't have my size like i now want to play with all that like bold loud colors patterns those are the things that i i i like to play with um and then the other thing is also because I am more secure in my gender, I think I was very like averse, like feminine type things. Um, now I, I am like more okay with anything that may be more feminine, like I wouldn't even say presenting, but like flag at a more like feminine vibe. So, so, so now I say like, I am a very, like my style is a little bit more gay man than it is like, you know, straight man, I guess, whatever, like, ugh, I hate those terms, but you get the idea. Um, so yeah, and then I actually don't even mind, like, occasionally, if, I mean, I don't do this outside, but because I've been watching a lot of drag, I'm like, I'll put on heels and, like, pretend to, like, walk in the house and, like, dance and stuff like that, like, my mannerisms have been, can be very, like, femme, uh, and it's okay but it's only only now because I'm like more secure in my gender before that I was absolutely not able to do that yeah I think gender is like a really difficult thing to unpack and you do need like a lot of time to get to to, to really explore it I think so I guess besides fashion, were there any other ways that you also explored your own gender? Yes. Uh, I mean, there's also like the typical one where, you know, you think about like binding. Um, I think, you know, there's always like the discussion of like surgery and or testosterone to, uh, you know, like physically transition. I don't think that's that that'll always be on my mind, but it'll it'll never be to a point where I have to do it. Some people's dysphoria, um, or even not even dysphoria, like even if you don't have dysphoria, but you just don't want to do it. Some people just have that desire to go do it and they make the decision and they go ahead. And like I'm not that person. I'm highly indecisive. Um, and so this is not something that's like necessarily on the books for me in a very uh like I have to do it like that. I must do it way. Um, but the other thing that I like to do is like play with play with pronouns. So I use like all the pronouns, um, and it's very interesting because like the the best part is you know when I'm greeted or talked to by like a stranger, it's so interesting to see what pronouns they use. So I don't tell them. Let's see what they assume, and I get a mix of like things. Sometimes I get a confused look, and it's very funny. It used to be a bit like scary early on, but then now it's like so funny because I expect it. I think it's so embarrassing for them. Um, and like, I also experiment going to different bathrooms. So depending on which country I'm in, I would go to different bathrooms. So for example, in the US, it's so much easier for me to go to a guy's bathroom than a girl's, not, sorry. It's so much easier for me to go to a guy's bathroom in the US than in Singapore. Because in, in the U.S., when they look at me, they map me as an Asian boy. That's it. Like, to them, like, queer Asian people don't exist, right? Like, for them, when you think about queer people, they think about, like, queer white people. But then in Singapore, like, they think about, like, 
you see like queer Chinese people around. So then when they see me, they can like map me quite easily to like a queer Chinese person because they have seen that around. So it's a bit more, uh, it's a little scarier to be, to walk into like a guy's bathroom in, in Singapore. It also depends on the length of my hair. Dep if my hair is like quite long, I'm immediately mad to be, to being like a girl, whatever, or like a butch girl, instead of like being a boy with long hair. So I have to be very careful <clears throat> um, with that. But those are like some of the ways that I like play with it. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Cause at the end of the day, I think I'm again, like now more secure by gender. So it's an experiment every time I see what people think of me, what they assume of me. And like, you know, sometimes if people like ask further, they'll realize that like my gender is really, really complicated. And if anything, like, I like to describe it as ditto, you know, the Pokemon. Yeah, so, um, it's kind of a bit like that. Like it just doesn't, it's not really anything, you know, but it could be something if you want it to be. So that's how I, <laughs> that's how I describe my gender. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess when you were in the US, right? It was, I mean, there's been like a climate of violence against trans people, especially like black trans women um like how 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 was the environment like like because I can't imagine how scary it would have been personally yeah I know I was in the U.S. but I'm not as close to that to be honest um I think I happen to be firstly in a place where my circle doesn't have um like I I'm not in the cir in, in, cir in circles where I have a lot of like uh, queer trans black friends. Um, and like, I also feel like I do spend a lot of time like at work in like highly privileged places, AKA like I go to work and then when I go home, I just take like an Uber home. Um, and then when I go party, I just like party with like the queers in Brooklyn or whatever, right? Um, and my circles like in business school and stuff like that like <laughs> I just don't mix around with, with as many uh queer black trans folks um and so I'm a little distanced from these like um attacks I'm actually not I don't feel as scared to be honest because I don't think like like I mentioned before people don't map me as trans so because I can pass very easily, like that danger is not there. Um, the one thing that was very scary, and I don't know if you like heard of this or remember this from a while ago, I think it was like 2016 was mm, the uh, incident at Pulse in the nightclub in, I think it was Orlando. Um, basically some guy went to this like gay club and just like shot everybody up and it was like so scary, a lot of people um, a lot of people um, passed away from that. And those were actually like friends of people I knew. And so that hit very close to home. Um, and the fact is like, 
I love partying. I could have been Orlando, like it could have been me. Um, so, I mean, there, this is like a very specific like incident that really hit home. Um, you know, there are a lot of other inst- instances that where like these, where like hate crimes have happened against like queer people or trans people or just broadly like people of color. I feel a little less scared about those because I just haven't heard of people who've been on the other end of it, like like personal like networks. But I'm sure if I heard of that, I'd be so scared. I, I can't tell if that's like a COVID mechanism to like try to distance myself. So I feel less scared. <laughs> I guess, as you say, like by distancing yourself from that, if it was a sort of protection, um, then how would you describe like as like would you describe as someone who is part of the queer community in the US or in Singapore or like a bit of both? Like how would you place yourself, I guess? That's a tough question. Um I don't like saying like I never fully fit into like queer community in Singapore. And then I also never fully fit in the queer community in the, in the US either. Um, and it's also hard because the queer community is so big, right? Like even within Singapore, right? And even within the US, there are like subsets of communities, like, you know, the activist people, then like the more like, like low key, like, you know, I just date my girlfriend, go home every day kind of people. And then like, you know, all, just other, other folks, like, I don't know, gamers, like the nerds, the bankers, I don't know, whatever. Um, and so, I always find that I am the most X in a room. For example, if I'm in a room with like the business queers, right? Like I'm most probably the most international one out of all of them, right? Um, And then if I'm in Singapore, I'm probably the most like Americanized one of everybody or something like that. Like, I feel like I never fully fit into a room. And I thought that it was like, me and JC being like, oh, why am I so weird? Why am I the only like girl who like really likes soccer and like nobody else really does? And like, I like to hang out and do like boyish things. And I thought it was the odd one out. And I thought that would be solved when I went to the US and hung out with queer people. And then I realized that when I hang out with queer people, they're super activisty and overly social justice warrior in like, in that specific clique of people, by the way, the first bunch of people I'll hang out with. And I didn't fit in either. They didn't understand that I came from Singapore. I had no idea what any of these words meant. Now I do, but back then I didn't. And like, I just need some, I needed somebody to be kind to me and teach me and they were not. And so I was like, oh, I don't fit in here. Then I went to business school and then I didn't fit in there because I was the only core person. And then I found over you. And then I'm like, oh, but all these people are all like American and I'm Singaporean. So I don't really fit in there either. And then I come back to Singapore. I'm like, shit, I'm too American now. And then it's like, Actually, I don't fit in anywhere. And then you know what? It's okay. It's it's at some point I figured that I will never find anybody that's exactly like me. And that's totally okay. I will find friends that I can like relate to for certain things, but I will not have like anybody who can like understand me like 100% because then that would just be me. Okay. So I guess um, back to your involvement with O4U, is what, that was the name, right? O4U. Um, 
yeah, so it kind of tried to encourage inclusivity for queer people in business. Is that what they, is that what y'all did? Um, it, it's it's more like a professional development organization um, for queer undergrads. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And I guess as a queer person who works in finance and like finance related sectors, um, yeah, how, how do you how have you been navigating like you know this structure of capitalism? And you know, how do you feel about that? It's always tough because you know what capitalism does to your own community. And you also know what capitalism does to you as a person. Um, and obviously some of the more obvious ones would be like, you know, it makes you think that if you're not productive, you are like a waste of space. Uh, you constantly have to either be making money or actually, yeah, you constantly be making money. Otherwise you're like not worth anything, right? Your worth is tied to your effort, your, your like wealth generation. Um, and like when you're comparing yourself to other people, there's like a numerical, like how much do you make, right? Um, and you're always being put in this like rat race because this year you earn this amount, next year you earn more and then maybe you get a promotion and then after that you do this other thing. But then should I switch jobs to get more money? Like, I don't know, you know? And a lot of it, it, it um, if you get stuck in it, you, you kind of forget to live your life and do the fun stuff. Like playing soccer doesn't pay you anything, but you can have fun, right? So like, there's there's that. So um, I had a huge uh, conflict with it, internal conflict. I think in my second year when I was hanging out with a lot, a lot of people who were not in business school, very anti-capitalist and were all like in the queer community. And meanwhile, I was like in business school and you know pursuing an internship in investment banking, which in my opinion is like the epitome of capitalism, uh, that and hedge funds. But like I, I came to this like consensus with myself that at the end of the day, I'm doing this for myself. Like I am participating in capitalism because I need to survive. At the end of the day, everybody does it as well. Uh, you can't take down the structure like by yourself. And there are people who are like very uh, suited to do that. I am not one of them. Um, and I realized that pretty early on. Because at the end of the day, where I'll succeed in life is in like finance, because I'm good with numbers, I'm good with like business, and like I have that mindset. Um, and I need to work in the US to like get my visa to stay here and like live my career life, right? And so I sort of come to terms with that uh, with myself. But on the other end, I think what how, like you know everybody could contribute very differently to like the community in different ways so like you know there are people on the ground like super activisty and like they will protest they will organize like those are the people that are doing a lot of the good work like I know my place and it's not there my place is like organizing um you know the pre-professional folks so like people who would go into these banks and like you know be part of their networks right and like groom the next bunch of queer business leaders and at the end of the day if queer people don't go into business like there are other people who are going to go into take those spots right um and there are queer people who want to go into business just like naturally as a function of where they decide their life like takes them and stuff like that and so if we can equip them to be a bit more like conscious about the world conscious about themselves or place in the world 
um, whether that means like entering this workplace and like understanding what capitalism does and trying to like work against it in your everyday life and that may be like taking care of yourself like asking for a vacation when you need it like very simple shit like that um that's that's where i find it important and the other thing is also like community like there's a lot of shit that goes on in these corporate walls and if you have like a strong network cross you know sometimes you'd be like dude this happened in my company it happened in yours like what happened what's happening you know um and stuff like that. So I think that could be that could be really. Um, I I think that's where I feel like I contribute the most in terms of like community and stuff. And then that makes me feel a bit better about like being very active in capitalism. Okay, so I guess you know it's you said like it's impossible to take down the system of capitalism by yourself but you also mentioned that networks of you know knowing other queer people who are going through the same thing like this is important for everyone to right so I guess could you maybe elaborate a little bit on whether you feel you are part of this community because I know you said that you didn't but it also does sound like you you personally feel like you have a stake in in this community right when you say community you mean like the u.s queer community um yeah i guess in um for you say queer uh, people in companies queer people in companies yeah i mean you know I, no i i think i think i definitely like identify as part of the community and i think the thing that i said before i meant like i wouldn't pick one over the other, I would be in all of the communities essentially. Um, so yeah, like I definitely identify with being in that community. Uh, what was the other part of the question? As in, I guess, um, then in that sense, there's that sort of, you know, connection, right, within people in business. I guess, do you still see yourself as isolated then, as you've talked about before? I will always be isolated in my in my mind. And maybe that's like a topic for my therapist. But um I like even if I'm like queer business community, right? Like I'm still Singaporean. I still have like, I don't know, visa issues, nobody's gonna understand. And then like, oh, if I want to get married, but it's like maybe like the marriage is not recognized in Singapore and like that type of stuff, there will always be like some weird, unique like struggle. Um, and so I will always feel isolated um, in that sense and like, like alone, but I don't know if that's something that prevents me from still feeling that I'm part of the community. Like, you know, yeah, still be part of the community, but like knowing that nobody will fully understand me. Okay, I guess you so just now circling back a little bit to what you said, um, you talked about n- about intending to get a visa to stay in the US. Um, so I guess my question is, have you and can you still imagine a future in Singapore? Oh, that's always tough. I actually like did not think I would come back to Singapore. I think until recently, um, 
I think until recently, last four to five years, I think I was like, I think it'd be interesting to like live in Singapore because I never really lived in Singapore as an adult, right? Like I lived here until JC and like, I didn't even, I wasn't making money. I had like pocket money from my mom, you know, I went to school every day, do CCA, come home, go tuition, like that kind of, that kind of lifestyle. Um, I never explored Singapore as an adult and it was because of COVID that I came back and I spent a year in Singapore, a year plus in Singapore. And, you know, whenever we were able to go out, like, I would go to bars, I would go like watch movies, like go and play the arcade, like, you know, that house, I could do whatever I wanted and I didn't have to think about money. I didn't have to think about my mom texting me because now I live in like my own apartment and everything. But it's it's actually refreshing because now I'm like, I can't actually see myself living here. Like if I do the things that I do now, like I don't mind. Because in my mind, it was like restrictive life in Singapore, like, you know, like same friend group, you know, my teacher's always coming down on me, my parents always around me, whatever the type of stuff. Um, and now my life is very different. Like I can go out whenever I want to and like I'll meet my friends in town. Sure, I'll meet you in like Chuchugam, whatever, right? I can go anywhere I want. And that sort of freedom is something that I when I thought about Singapore, I thought I didn't have. But now that I've come back and experienced it as an adult, I know I can do this. So my thoughts on like living in Singapore have changed. I don't mind living here. Um, and then also like, I guess now because I'm like kind of seeing somebody, it like makes it a bit more of an attractive option. But then it's it's still very different because like, I'm you know, obviously I came back because of COVID and like my job is still in the US. And so I have a decision to make at some point in life. But I think I can actually see myself living here. Okay, yeah, I guess then what are the things that make you hesitate still about living here? Like, could you talk a bit more about that? I think the number of people in Singapore who, like, want to engage in topics that I'm passionate about I'm very few and far between. Um, and or the people who do are like super activisty and like too activisty. Um, and like there's a very fine balance of stuff that I'm like, like, for example, um, like social justice related stuff, right? Like I have some capacity for it and I'm interested in all of that type of stuff, but I could not make that like my entire life. Um, I need somebody who can like, oh, talk to me about like mortgages. <laughs> and at the same time talking about how we can like, I don't know, change the corporate culture or something like that, whatever in our companies, whatever, right? So I need like the people who do both are very limited in Singapore. And my friends who used to be on the same level with me um, back in college at least, when they come back to Singapore, now they don't care at all. I feel like Singapore does that to them. Um, and then the people who do care, I feel like it's it's very hard for me to get, um, I think they're a bit too like high level for me, like too much. <laughs> so that's definitely like a hesitation because I'm like, mm, I, need, I need people who can be on the same level as me. I just don't know who they are. 
and where they are. Um, and then the other thing is also like FOMO, I guess. Like there's so much shit going on in the US and like there's a lot of fun, there's a lot of parties and there's a lot of new experiences. Like experiences in Singapore are just generally quite limited. Um, and so I, yeah, I just think that like in the US people are a lot more open um, to trying and doing new things. And like, they don't have to be so careful, which also obviously is a downside uh, in these times, but there's just a lot more like possibility when it comes to like memories and experiences that you can create. Okay, I guess now you've mentioned just now and before so that you've felt that other queer people who you've talked to are too activisty. So I guess, could you explain why you feel alienated from activists and like guess this sort of organizing? Yeah, it has nothing to do with like the queer activisty people in Singapore at all. Um, it actually has to do with the queer activisty people in New York. Um, because I think they like when I was like a little baby queer trying to learn all these things. I felt alienated by them because I was in business school and they were like, oh, this is a business school kid. Like, what are you doing in our space? Like, you are the enemy. And so I've always like, oh, like, why am I considered the enemy? I'm trying to learn too, right? <clears throat> and then they're, you know, as usual, like a lot of queers, very sick of capitalism. Um, and because I like work at a bank or whatever, like I represent that for them. And it's like, not my fucking fault. But, you know, as people do, they tend to project and like put things on me. Um, and I don't like blame them because that's only like human, but it doesn't make my experience any better. And so I'm like, look, I know if I'm gonna come to the space, I'm gonna represent all the things you hate about the system. Like, I don't want, there's no, I don't wanna subject myself to that. So like, I like hanging out with some like activist people, but I'm often like very cautious when hanging around them um, because like, I don't know, I could say something that sounds super privileged and then I'm like, shit, I didn't realize that that was like super privileged and super annoying. Um, I could be like, I don't know, like, you know, if you work in a big company, right? You're like, oh yeah, this was like a billion dollar deal. And like, man, they were like fighting over a million dollars. It's so little, it's some stupid, like, you know, comment like that. Like, obviously yeah, I don't have a million bucks to throw around, but like, you know, the scale of that, like sometimes it, like, I don't know what I would say that could be, like, not, like, great to hear. I don't know. And, like, I feel like I'd be a bit, like, I'd be, like, walking on eggshells. I'm like, I'd rather not. So, in the right mode, I will hang out with those people. And most of the time, I would rather not. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, it does sound that you've been somewhat involved in a certain form of organizing right and I guess then what is the line between that and like these activist circles that you've described hopefully not I don't like to make a line the line is when people when I make friends with these people and they start to project their like hate against capitalism onto me and that's the line like I like hanging around 
people who are like more activistic because it reminds me because every day I hang out with all these like people at work and I have this other group of people to sort of like remind me about what who I really am and my values and stuff but like I need people who um, also like live life like I, I kind of like people who are like like hundred percent activists because then they won't ex- they won't like I don't know I feel like they wouldn't understand my like corporate life as well so that's sort of like a bit of the uh, the difference at the same time like I don't know if I like hung out with like people who are artists they're not even like activists or whatever but because they're artists they'll never understand my life and I'll never understand theirs it's like the same thing it's just like we live very different lives sports people who are like 100% sports maybe I don't understand their life I don't know like that type of stuff just like people who are not who are not like totally uh who are just like entirely different and like activist people are just like one of those okay yeah I guess Mm. you talked a bit just now about you know all these things that you've done which are you know kind of well in my in my view kind of part of like a politics of survival I guess right like how you survive in with what you've been dealt so I guess could you maybe talk a bit more about that like how like like how have you survived and you know how is that part of your politics as a person yeah sur- surviving recognizing that i need to survive has actually really shaped my politics cuz i thought i was going to be like super anti-capitalist as well with all of those people and then i realized that like i have to participate very actively in like the financial system because that's where I succeed and that's where I'm gonna like make a living for myself and like make enough money to like pay my parents back for my expensive ass education right and so there's like that piece um and also I have like moderate-ish still broadly like I think most people call me liberal still but like I think of myself as moderate because at the end of the day like part of it's like Singapore right Singapore's like I guess our way of thinking is very like sit on the fence and you'll never piss anybody off kind of mentality, right? You write essays, you have to think about like for and against, then you have to like counter your point and counter, counter your point. on Like we're taught to be able to like think on both sides of the equation. Um, and so I like to play peacemaker a lot of the time as well. And so with my politics, it's also very like middle ground peacemaker type vibes. Um, sometimes that becomes a little bit avoidant. <laughs> like I will not take a side on certain topics here and there. Um, And also because I don't like to read very much. Uh, My politics is usually very like delayed (laughs) in terms of like the latest news. Um, And it's really influenced by my friends. And so my social circle really determines my politics. Um, Sometimes it's the other way around. If you have your own Uh, point of view which I really don't um I'm very much like a people person and so as long as like people are like generally happy I'm I like that those are my politics (laughs) in that sense or like that's the stance that I'll take like I just want people to be happy I'm I'm much more like social person than I am a political person 
um, and more about like community building, which is why I like for O for you, I like to like organize these things, make friends, you know, build networks and like do a lot of social stuff. And it's much less political. Just, yeah, just generally. Okay. Um, I guess one question I have is, um, oh, maybe if we can circle a little bit back to school and how you discovered that you were, how, how you discovered that you were queer. Um, yeah, how, how was the schooling environment like for you? It was so weird because there were so many queer people, but none of us could talk to each other about it. There's no like, there's no atmosphere where you can be like, hey, you're queer, I'm queer, let's like be queer together. I know people who have done that, like people you know too, by the way. Like, I'm like, oh, you guys were friends in school and then like were queer together. Like, shit, I wish I had that. Because I, it turns out I was hanging out with a lot of queer people, I just didn't know it. Um, and then it's so funny because I had like a bully in like secondary school who would just be like, oh, Terry, are you gonna go and see your girlfriend now? Like, I mean, of course, yes, the answer is yes. But like, you know, I was like, no, she's just not my girlfriend, she's my good friend, like whatever, okay, fine, right? Um, I was also in denial myself. And then turns out two of my really good friends were also queer. They were like dating girls at the, at the same time too and everybody knew it. But then they were like, oh, yeah, that weird person there. And, uh, and like, kind of like being ostracized a little bit. Um, and I think a lot of it like plays into the, the stigma of like a queer person, at least within like these secondary school spaces. Like obviously these kids, when they come to secondary school, they still don't know anything, right? What they learn is from their parents, right? Even the schools can't really educate unless they like, actively educate which they, I know they don't you can't like you you can't really like blame them for these mindsets and it's so funny because that bully in secondary school is now one of my really really good friends and she's like you know when I had like a long-term partner like she's met her and like they you know became friends like you know actually stayed at each other's house and stuff like that and it's like so nice but it was it only took her you know going to like uni and like growing up to realize that what she did in secondary school was wrong. And I didn't want to talk to her for the longest time, you know? And now obviously we're not good friends, but it's like in school, you don't have a space where, and not even queer kids, like, I don't know if you have any other like uh, folks who are being like, you know, marginalized or, or anything, right? It's like, you need to find other people that you can, that can make you feel like what, you are who you are is acceptable so that's so weird we had like queer teachers too but they couldn't talk to us about it and we would like kind of gossip Ooh, do you think she's like gay or whatever and i would participate in that and like just try, try to be like part of the conversation but like i'd be like actually i kind of want to talk to her and be like oh that's really cool but like you know i gotta be cool right so i pretend like i don't like it too so and then I think I had a friend who actually was, who is trans and like, you know, at least an RJ wanted to wear like the boys uniform, but wasn't allowed to do that. And I think that's kind of like 
if you already have a uniform and there are two sets of uniforms that people can wear, like why not just allow them to like wear the other? They're still part of the code, right? It's like a, the school uniform code. Um, and it was funny because I used to do that too. I didn't, I didn't wear the boys uniform, but I would basically just wear PE shirt and shorts so that I wouldn't have to wear like the RJ skirt. And then if my, um, like early morning, right? And morning assembly, like my form teacher would come and be like, why are you not wearing a school uniform? I'm like, oh, today, like, so I, I leaked. And like, they, he would just be so awkward and didn't know what to say about it. That he just let it go. So I obviously, I just, I just pulled that stunt a couple of times uh, every week. Uh, sorry, every every month. But like, there are always get around like ways around it. But it's like, why make it harder for like queer kids to express themselves? Um, I even had a friend who got pulled to the principal's office because she was sitting at like bench, like her girlfriend, and I think they were like holding hands or something, like hugging a lot or something. And then I think they were like forced to like not see each other in school or something like that. It was kind of a big deal. And then like she couldn't come for like CCA for a, for a bit, something like that. And I'm like, you're you're really going to do this? Yeah. So it was like it wasn't great. I think there are a lot of like small little things that happen to queer people in, in these in our schools that aren't like big traumatic events. Maybe some of them are bigger because I'm not the one experiencing them, but like small T traumas and you like remember them and they affect your like experience in school, right? Like I was in a clique and like this girl and this guy, I was like, they were dating. They were dating so openly and you know, they would like hang out in school all the time, stuff like that. And like, if I wanted to do that, I couldn't do that. And this is something that every teenager, you know, should have the opportunity to like go explore if they want to. So I don't know, it was, it, it seemed a little bit like subtly and less subtly like restrictive. Yeah, I guess schools tend to be pretty violent and like oppressive places, especially for queer people. Mm. yeah I can't imagine what it would be like for like the boys school because boys are generally more violent too and they're more homophobic yeah I guess um oh yeah you mentioned soccer could you talk a little bit more about that and you know how that was like oh soccer is great I liked soccer so much because it was my like space where I was like the best that I could be. And like, like I was good at soccer. I wasn't the best soccer player I know, obviously, but I was like, I would say I'm a, like, I was like above average. And so that always made me feel like I'm a very competitive person, right? So like, I like to be like, oh yeah, I can dribble past you or I can defend you or something like that. And that was like my little happy space where I could like do all those things and I would get like, I know I'm good. I get praise from, like, the coaches or, like, I know that if, for example, if they need somebody who can do X, Y, Z, like, I am that person, right? So it was a very affirming space for me. Um, when I went to my external club, like, that was the first time I saw, like, queer couples. Like, soccer is such a queer space. Like, it's crazy. Like, 
you know, like people from like the VJ team had a crush on like our RJ team, like, you know, same with insert whatever JC here. And like in my external club, like we had two of our teammates who were dating each other, you know, and they were like really good. Like they were like center mid and center back, like core of the team, right? And they were one of them was also the captain of the team. And it's like, oh my gosh, what they're dating? Like, oh, so cool. And then somebody else, like, you know, their like girlfriend would sit by the sidelines and like watch their soccer training or soccer game. And like, I get to meet them. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's so open and so like accepted that, you know, your like girlfriend would just come and watch you play soccer. And that was very eye-opening. And that Soccer actually normalized queerness for me. Um, and I would feel like, oh, I'm like, you know, making it in the world uh, when I got my then girlfriend to come watch me play soccer. They're like, oh, who's that? Your girlfriend is it? And I'm like, oh, nola, nola. But like, totally is, you know? Um, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this like older senior like brought her girlfriend to the game. And now like, look, I got, I get, I get to do that too, right? And so it was, yeah. Soccer is obviously like, you know, like a place where I like grew up, but it also was an alternative space. It was a space which showed me like an alternative like world out there because it, like I grew up like RGS, RJ, I told you like same church and like church is like with, you know, barely middle upper class folks. Um, and it was through soccer that I like, I mean, met a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, like, you know, like neighborhood schools, um, you know, like majority of them actually are like Malay. Um, and I didn't have that many like Malay friends before. I wouldn't, like, they weren't really my friends because they were too good and they would always laugh at me. Um, but like, you know, I got to interact with them and then like, you know, people who just, like, I don't know, they're entirely, their family backgrounds is like different. And so like, it really exposed me to the world rather than my like, little privileged little bubble. So yeah, soccer is a really big in my, my growing up, I think when it comes to like secondary school and JC years. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's quite interesting because a lot of people, I guess, also think of sport as a very, as, you know, it can be a site for homophobia and queerphobia in general too, right? I guess, yeah, did, was there something that you ever experienced while you were in the sport? No. If anything, it was like very widely accepted, as I said. I, I do think there may be a bit of a dis- difference between like, the women's teams and then maybe the, the guys teams because at the end of the day, sport generally is seen as like a masculine thing so if you like masculine women playing that you end up having like a bunch of queers in there like i don't know i think basketball dragon boat like canoeing soccer like they're all fairly queer in singapore and then if you think about like the same sports but for men those are like masculine things and then if like attaching all of these like binary sort of like uh, assumptions on. If you're gay, it's like more feminine. And if you're like a feminine gay soccer player or whatever, then they're like, oh, what? it doesn't make sense. And so maybe that is where that stigma comes from. But at least in my experience, I think 
it's it's not a fair comparison between like women's sports and like men's sports. Um, and yeah, just like masculinity is a lot more accepted in women's sports compared to like femininity in like men's sports, I think. Um, so yeah, I've had no trouble there. Um, maybe the only experience that I had was like when it came to like official JC stuff where like people were like interested in other people from other teams and like it could not be discussed because it's like oh they're our opponent and also it's not like so acceptable to date girls in general so it was a bit more hush hush but of course I know what was going on people would tell me <laughs> okay um yeah you so talked a bit about um being in the church so was that something that you know was it like what was the environment like I guess were you part like was religion something that was close for you um I think I grew up with religion I think I started going to church because my mom brought me there when I was like six or so um it's something that you know I um didn't have a choice in you just grew up right and you just believe in it um I I you know if you force me to pick a religion I would still pick like Christianity but I am not very much of a active like uh participant in the religion and so like religion's always a very tricky topic for me because while I do have a background in it and I have struggled and I have thought a lot about it, right? Like I said, I went to like FCC and like um, did spend a fair amount of time trying to like, figure it out. Like it's, it still brings up a lot of like um, pain and confusion um, and like lack of resolution. And so sometimes like, ah, I don't wanna think about it. Let's just not deal with it, right? Um, and so, I think a lot of the um, homophobia that's coming from my family, my parents specifically, is like stems from religion. Duh, you can't do this. Like it's it's a, it's a sin. Like it's against God's will. All that stuff. And so that's what it represents for me. Is like it, it religion represents, um, or it reminds me of the fact that my parents don't. It's it's the reason why my parents don't accept me. For my queerness, at least they love everything else about me. But yeah. So, would you say that your family has, you know, like how have they reacted to you being queer and things like that? Um, I mean, my parents don't like it as much my mom specifically so does not um she's raised very vocally her objection to it um you know I first came out to her in I think in, in secondary school not officially because I didn't know what I was doing right I told you guys like, I didn't know I was queer and I had a girlfriend but she sort of like called me out and I was like oh no I'm not queer I'm not queer at all like I just like this one girl whatever but I officially kind of like had another conversation with her um, my, I think when I was 18. And like every couple of months we would have a conversation 
to the point it was so tired. I would stop because I was like, I don't even want to talk about this. The conversation is going to be the same. It starts with something about queerness and then you shout and then I shout and then you cry and then I cry and then we both cry and then we're like, okay, let's go back to our rooms. Like it just is the same like playbook. Um, and I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and so it came to a, you know, it came to a point where like now at least it's like, it's, a, it's understood that I'm queer, I'm not going to budge. And I've built my career, my social circles, and like most of my life on the fact that I'm queer, right? A lot of decisions in my life are not based on the fact that I'm queer. Um, and so who I am has a very strong foundation in my queerness. Um, and my mom knows that. She doesn't like it. I'm trying not to talk about it anymore. Um, but they won't say like, she will like take a jab at me every time I like, cut my hair. Or like, maybe I mentioned like, my queer thing here and there like she'll take a jab at me but I let her do that because that's her way of feeling like she has some sort of like power um and say in my life when she really knows she doesn't anymore so I let her have it um but my siblings they all know and they're very supportive um my brother got married like three years ago and his his uh wife my sister-in-law actually encouraged me to wear to bring my suit and wear it at her wedding my mom made me wear a dress, which I was like, whatever, I'll let you have it. Um, and then, you know, when the bride does like a, a wardrobe change in the middle of like the wedding dinner or whatever, she basically came by my table and was like, let's go. So I went with her. Well, not really with her, but like she was like, go change. And then, um, yeah, we went to change together. And then it was great. I wore like my favorite suit. It was like very nice. And obviously everybody was very shocked because they were like, oh my God, like what happened? And then I was like called on stage to do the yam sing. I was like, holy shit, I didn't expect like literally everybody to see me. But that was like a gesture of like solidarity. And like, I was very, it was it was very touching to know that like, my brother had my back. My, my sister-in-law who like does not need to have my back at all had my back. Um, yeah, one of my other brothers, like, he's seen me do all my shit. I brought him to, like, a gay bar in New York. Um, he's seen me, like, kiss so many girls. He's, like, heard all of my stories, all my heartbreaks, all my, like, scandalous, like, star stories, everything. He's heard every single thing. He's been there for me for everything. So, like, my siblings are very um, supportive. Um, and they also know that, like, you know, I'm very comfortable with who I am and so they support me so that's very nice but my mom still is a bit like in denial hoping she can change me I think that hope dies down with every year that that passes but like still there she's not fully accepted it okay so I guess my final question is how would you describe yourself what <laughs> like as you know after all that you've talked about how would you like to describe yourself uh shit that's rough okay when you talk about that are you talking about like identities are you talking about like characteristics yeah go go out you can use whatever descriptor you want this is mostly for the the introduction of the interview transcript, yeah. Ah, um, 
my like basic my basic bitch description is like you know queer trans Singaporean boy um and a lot of that is because like you know again queerness is very important to me and then I like to bring out my transness because it's not immediately uh obvious um I love to bring out my Singaporeanness because people don't know that automatically like if I talk in my like American accent right like nobody can tell I'm Singaporean and so when I when I bring up my Singaporeanness it's like look I'm not the same as all of you I don't have the same history as you um and then I like to bring the part about the boy because that brings out playfulness it brings up youth and it brings up the fact that like I'm not like some like old man who like is I'm, I'm not trying to like fit into the world as like a man and like pass I want to like stay young and like I mean what I like about like youngness is possibility about flexibility if you're young you can go do a lot of things explore a lot of things and like not be judged for it whereas if you're old you're expected to be an expert in all these types of things in like not that much flexibility which is like a lot of how uh I, I, it, it speaks to how I guess our world is a bit, you know, uh, strict in terms of the way we see things. But <laughs> that's what I try to embody. Like, even though I am like actually growing older, like I still want to embody the spirit of like a young boy. Um, and like, obviously, there's a piece of that about gender too, right? About like being playful with gender, being playful with like my life choices here and there. So. Those are the descriptors, descriptors I would use uh, in most of my uh, standard introductions and the, uh, I guess, the meaning behind all of those things.